This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Uh, here we are in the piney woods of north central Florida in God's country and pretty good weather and pretty good rain lately, so we're doing all right. And uh, we are, of course, in the Manly Warthog Command Center inside the Melton Law Studio. Melton Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by all the great sponsors you see scrolling across your screen as the show goes on and patronize them. Uh, and they patronize us. We like to reciprocate. Coach Hogg's locker room is on a Monday tradition. Having been around the locker rooms a lot of my life, I um, enjoy, you know, going over the news of the sports. And um, some of it's very political. Some of it isn't. But I'm finding out more and more of it is. Um, probably the least political reportage I can do today on a sport uh, during uh, our Coach Hall locker room is Gator Baseball. Gator Baseball has been playing here in its local regional to pack crowds. And I'm amazed. Probably there are more people on what I call the grassy knoll uh, uh, of the field at Florida than there are in stands. And and um, makes for a heck of a crowd. And uh, they've done very well. They were out of here, out of the regional, in two games, beating South Carolina two straight, who had beaten them three straight in the regular season. It all comes down to pitching, in my estimation, in this sport when crunch time comes. And it looks as if the Gator pitchers have shown up. So they're off to Omaha. There are a few teams already that are in it. Virginia comes to mind, Wake Forest, uh, some of the others. There'll be eight teams, I think, uh, if I remember, memory serves me right. And it's, it's an accomplishment. It's really a feather in the cap. We've got two sports that are doing quite well right now. And, of course, the national championship in track and field on the men's side, I think the women came in second, on the men's side is Coach Holloway's Florida Gators. Track is an amazing sport in that you've got some of the most finely tuned athletes you'll ever come across. And for this coach here, known as Mouse, to get along um, as well as he has on the national stage, recruiting and keeping and training and uh, maintaining that high quality of is I, I think he probably qualifies. And maybe he's a move afoot or maybe it's already happened as the best coach we've got here in Gator, Gator country. I mean, certainly the problem is it doesn't lend itself to a lot of spectatorship. Um, it's not the big pack stadium here. But it is in the big venues out west in Oregon, uh, 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 Prefontaine territory and all that. 
a home of Nike and all that. Um, huge crowds, huge stadium packed crowds. Um, so don't think there isn't a stage for this. And there aren't some magnificent athletes here. Uh, our show out is always the Florida Relays in the spring. I'm not sure it's still called that, but that's what it was called when I ran in it. And it was always a, uh, a special event. So there are a couple of sports that are doing very, very well. Uh, Gator, baseball, and, well, really men's and women's track, although women, I understand, came in second in the country, but the men came in first. So you really got uh, something to look forward to here, beginning, I think, Friday with the World Series, which is in Omaha. And, uh, you know, the Gators won it a few years back. It's a difficult hill to climb, but it can be done. And, you know, we've got the power hitters. We've got apparently good chemistry on the team. And uh, it looks as if perhaps there's a shot. It'll be exciting to watch. The other thing that's very exciting to watch, although tonight may be ho-hum because it looks as if it's already a slam dunk, and that is the NBA Finals between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. It really looks as if what we suspected all along, with the exception of that one victory by Miami in Denver, that Denver is just too much for them. They've got the best center, maybe one, maybe one of the best in the history of the NBA, and that's saying a lot when you go back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, some of these other centers. Uh, this fellow from Serbia is certainly right in that mix, an amazing athlete. Uh, he is a countryman of Novak Djokovic, who's also from Serbia. We'll get into that in a moment. But um, this NBA game tonight is well worth watching. It's uh, if, for no other reason than to watch uh, this fellow from Serbia. They call the Joker. And they also, I believe, call Djokovic the Joker. That's kind of interesting. I never thought of that. And you've got the Joker, and you got his sidekick, Murray, who is a big scorer. And together, uh, playing together the way they do, Miami has been unable to uh, lock down a way to deal with them. So uh, tonight should be, since it's, especially since it's in Denver, and you know that altitude is the altitude uh, that works a little bit on your stamina, of course. And Miami's coming out of a sea level and going up to about 5,000 feet. The WNBA is kind of an interesting world. It's uh, it's got um, um, and by the way, before I go off onto that, here are some numbers uh, on just the ratings uh, for this uh, NBA final. The um, just two games into the final, and we're now four, I think. The uh, Viewers have been almost 12 million viewers. Um, the numbers are nearly equal to the 2022 NBA Finals, and that featured the Celtics and the Warriors. Um, so it's really been very successful financially for the NBA. Now, the WNBA 
is really, it has a problem in that it is a women's sport, I guess. Doesn't have the big crowds, although it's really gaining. And it's got a superstar, of course, that has a uh, history. And that's Brittany Griner. Now, Brittany Griner is an interesting case study. First of all, she's an unusual physical specimen, being tall and very gifted at basketball, but gangly and not what you would think of as her traditional woman, Um, but a woman. Um, There are a lot of women in the NBA who are, you know, women, women. Uh, By that, I mean, if you see uh, nature shots of them on the beach and all that, which some of them do and promote themselves, uh, they they are, um, you know, sporting the bikini as well as anybody. Brittany Griner has been controversial because, of course, she took this hard line Black Lives Matter stand before the Russia thing. And, you know, even sort of influenced other teams to stay in a locker room during the the national anthem. That didn't go over real well, but she didn't have a change of heart then. But a lot of these NBA, WNBA girls go to Europe and play in the offseason, which, of course, Griner did. And Griner, as you know the story, is on her way into Russia, and it's got in her her personal belongings, some things taboo in Russia, and ends up stacking time, as we say, in the Russian prison, which is not good. And, you know, Russia likes to tease and taunt, won't let you know how long, won't let you know the jury's rigged or the trial's bogus. Uh, so she spent some time there in uncertainty. And that uncertainty had an effect on her. I mean, it really, really did. Because the United States, the flag she wasn't all that enthusiastic about, thought it was racist, all of a sudden helps her get out. So now she's got a change of heart, bless her heart. She's all pro-American. She's back in the NBA. And yet the women's NBA has a financial problem. Their league cannot afford charter air travel. Now, the NBA travels by charter plane. And you can imagine all these tall people getting on a plane full of regular people, so to speak. So the NBA has enough money that their teams travel by charter plane. The WNBA does not travel by charter plane. It travels by regular planes. So Brittany Griner is in the Dallas airport Saturday when she gets harassed. And this has caused this charter issue to come to the forefront. What the WNBA needs 
and doesn't have apparently are sponsors to pay for these charter flights. Um, Griner got harassed. Uh, her teammates got harassed. Um, it uh, was a difficult time protecting them. They couldn't really secure them because they were in a public place in the airport. Um, the Phoenix forward, Brianna Turner, and Phoenix Mercury players were harassed with wild remarks. Um, so this issue of charters in the WNBA, um, and Mike Freeman has examined this in USA Today, uh, is uh, now become a kind of symbol in inequality between men and women in professional sports. And this is all undercut, of course, in the public by the fact that all these rulings about men who are not men and women who are, you know, it gets complicated. It gets so complicated that an article here that I ran across, I thought I'd share with you, is um, is really, if I can find it here, is really kind of interesting about, you know, you know how complicated the, the sexuality issue is in the world of, of, of women's sports. Um, it's something that I had a in the midnight auto yard, yard here, a uh, now here it is. This is this is this is this is interesting, um, and this is what is on people's minds. There's a women's only. Who would have thunk this? Nude Korean spa. Uh, yeah, that just that, that's the opening line in this article in the, in the Cultural Reporter. A women's only nude Korean spa has been ruled does not have a right to exclude patrons with male genitalia who identify as transgender, a federal judge ruled just last Monday. The Washington State Human Rights Commission ruled previously that Olympus Spa violated gender identity protections by excluding patrons who identified as transgender women. Come on. This has got to be in the minds of the public when they see the women's basketball team from the WNBA in the aeroporto. Now, the spa is for women only. And the patrons are typically naked while using its facilities and services. Biological women are welcome, the spa's website reads. It is the policy of Olympus Spa not to discriminate, it says in its policy manual, on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability in its programs or activities as required, and here comes the kicker, applicable laws and regulations. Well, you can imagine what happened. 
supporters of LGBTQWXYZ got in a march and started going after this female-only policy. Um, So the issue is publicly spas and gyms and other facilities have struggled with this issue. And now we've got Brittany Griner and her teammates and other team of the NBA going through the airport being harassed and not any way to protect them because they cannot use charters in the WNBA. Um, This is an interesting issue. Um, This is a health and safety issue, the Women's National Basketball League says. So the answer is going to evidently lie in money, of course. Who is going to pay for the charters? Well, the money is not there from the attendance in the league. Even though the attendance in the league has greatly increased, I don't have the exact numbers, it's not increased enough to finance the privacy required to protect the women going through the aeroporto. Interesting, interesting issue. Um, the French Open. Unbelievable tournament. It requires so much, not only skill, but it requires a tremendous amount of conditioning. A tremendous amount of conditioning. You might play five hours out there. And you might exchange on one point 20 strokes. So it becomes as much a battle of conditioning as it does of talent. But the guy who wins it and has been winning it and who is number one in the world, despite being banned from the Australian Open and the U.S. Open last year because he would not take the COVID vaccine, an anti-vaxxer, is still now the record holder of major Grand Slam victories. But the interesting thing about Novak Djokovic is that he has been, quote-unquote, a health nut. And he learned it early in his career when he realized, hey, being in shape for this sport is as important as having the skills to play it. His diet, for example. I just pulled it up off the internet. Day one. Every day, the first thing he does when he gets out of bed is he drinks water. First thing. Then he has two tablespoons of honey. And then he's on a gluten-free diet. He has rolled oats, cranberries, raisins, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, these kind of things. He has a mid-morning snack. It's crackers with tuna. Lunch, it's a mixed green salad. It's a mid-afternoon snack. An apple with cashew butter. And for dinner, he has a salad and salmon, skin on. And this is sort of his diet throughout the week. And he's been doing it and sticking with it 
Uh, homemade hummus, for example, might be in there. Uh, this is a diet that obviously is working for him, but the thing that's got the attention of the tennis world is a little mysterious-looking gadget that he tapes to his chest. Okay? And he tapes to his chest. It's a small, round-shaped, it's smaller than a pacemaker. It's about the size of a quarter. Nestled in the middle of his chest, he tapes it on there with adhesive tape. Now, they want to know what in the world this is. And as nearly as any of us can tell who've researched it, this device turns body heat into light. Are you ready for that? Body heat into light. And then after it turns it into light, it sends that light back through the nervous system. Now, what is the purpose of the light going back through the nervous system? Electrons and and photons. They stimulate certain receptors in the nervous system and encourage the relief of stress in areas chosen by the user, thus releasing muscular tension. He wears this the entire time he's playing. He changes the device mid-match no one seems to know why. Apparently it has a, a certain effective life on his body. And it's one more example, observers say, of Novak Djokovic's belief in alternative medicine. He trusts alternative medicine much more than he does conventional medicine. Isn't that interesting? And you watch him, and he holds up the entire time during this match. And they are arduous, arduous matches. He wore out the younger man in the semifinal, who was only 20 or 21, who got cramps trying to compete with him. Djokovic never cramped. So who knows what alternative medicine offers? He does. There's no doubt since the COVID vaccine is no longer mandated that he will be in this country after Wimbledon. They come to the U.S. Open. He'll be here. And he'll be on his record pursuit again. Interesting, interesting story. 
In the world of golf, the merger of Saudi Arabia um, called Project Wedge, the New York Times says, um, is one of the big stories. We haven't had anything like this since way back when, when we had the merger of the NFL and the AFL. But here, we've got the merger of entities in different countries. And given now golf a much greater global profile, and it has involved some of the most connected power brokers in golf, it has been... uh, Noticed that some of golf's most talented and bankable stars were promised uh, contracts like Phil Nicholson of $100 million or more. The television deals are amazing. And it's the big thing that shook up the golf PGA world. The PGA Tour is a tax-exempt nonprofit. And the data showed that the PGA, as it was structure was an aging audience and was beginning to get in peril. Uh, There's something to that, perhaps. So the prize money has been raised. And the bigger question is that uh, Saudi Arabia is trying to change its image from that of a very dictatorial world, uh, perhaps assassinating critics, uh, now involved in something that is quote-unquote civilized, like golf, on a big, big stage. So men's golf, the the, uh, New York Times says, has been uh, unguarded. Assumptions have been made that it's always going to be the PGA. And uh, there were certain neutral sites like London. That wasn't too far from golf's birthplace in Scotland. But, uh, you know, now we've got a whole different, a whole different world. And uh, maybe the epicenter of golf has moved. Um, Obviously, Trump has been involved in this sort of thing for quite some time. He predicted it would happen. He said that it would be financially the only way to keep PGA viable on the long haul. So that's the big story in uh, the world of golf. Uh, The merger of Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia's ties, LIVs, and, uh, of course, the PGA. So that, uh, that will be enormous amounts of money and will internationalize golf even further. So we right here at the University of Florida have a golf champion in college. So uh, we are one of the places that traditionally has had good collegiate golf teams. And you can understand why. Good weather, a lot of golf courses, although not many in the city of Gainesville. One of the most controversial issues going on right now is terminating the money for Ironwood. Ironwood has been the city-owned golf course. And, um, you know, with the country club down, 
Meadowbrook down, West End down. There are not many places to uh, play the golf. We're going to be right back on uh, the Ward Scott Files, do some local news for you in just a moment, and, uh, and the weather. Stay tuned. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right. Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We've got Ward's weather report. Compliments of Lewis Oil, Fossil Fuel, Patronize them, all the Chevron stations. Uh, we've got air quality here, pretty decent. We've got uh, in this high 70s right now, we'll go up in the low 90s here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. Uh, we've got some storms that are going to be you know, messing around here and there, in and out of our lives. Uh, something that we really need is some water. Um, the um, uh, rainfall has been... Um, uh, Welcome here because we had a controlled burn off to the east of us, and boy, that was a uh, big deal. I posted a picture of that out on the uh, out on the website, and it was um, something that rain came along and initially made a little smokier at the beginning. Uh, we need these controlled burns though because that keeps you from having an out of control burn, and when you have an out of control burn, of course you're you're in the hands of 
whatever it can be very difficult to control. Um, the hurricane season is not wound up great yet, but it's um, right in the early stages of it. So you can expect this to be uh, keeping an eye on that for you. Uh, other than that, it's rather uneventful in terms of our weather right now. We are getting some regular afternoon showers here, which is helping fill our rain gauges. I want to go into a little bit of local news now uh, for you and to um, try to, um, let's see if we can get uh, myself. I cannot ever find myself. I'm going to give up here in a minute uh, on that. I've never been able to unlock um, the bit. <laughs> I just don't know uh, how to do it. But anyway, uh, so if there's a chat going on out there, hang on, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I can't seem to ever find it. Maybe um, somebody can tell me. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. And so it's supposedly happening, but um, uh, anyway, I can't see the chat line. One of these days, I got to figure out how to keep that going. It's messing me up a little bit in communicating with you all. Well, there's a big story locally, and it's been around for quite a while, and that's about inclusionary zoning. Um, you know that that became incredibly controversial. Um, the city commission, in its infinite wisdom, was going to do away basically with single-family neighborhoods and let anybody who wanted to cram anything he could into the middle of a single-family neighborhood and, you know, create chaos. Um, they were simply not compatible. And it created quite quite a, a pushback, which, of course, the city commission resisted. Um, they didn't want to... Uh, really rethink what they were doing because you know how they are. They're pretty sure they're right. And I hearken back to a a moment and uh, back in September, approximately of 2022, where a local real estate broker, Terry Martinback, was arrested after losing it, basically, and threatening members of the Gainesville City Commission via Facebook and in email, according to court records. Now, we had an issue here where a deputy at the ASO put remarks out on Facebook. And that, of course, led to a disciplinary action, violation of policy, clearly, and uh, you can see that uh, how that got resolved. Finally, a liar got involved and they had to go to the courts and, you know, all this business. When you start putting things out on Facebook that um, public, hey, you got to remember that. But when you start putting things in emails, especially uh, that on a government server, uh, that puts you in a different category. And Terry Martinback, whom I know very, very well, is an Army veteran of Desert Storm, uh, found himself crossways in the road, as we say in the South, uh, and was booked into the Alachua County Jail back in September, I think it was, when uh, the city commission complained that he had threatened them. 
and uh, a warrant was issued. And he was subsequently charged uh, with making written threats to kill, do bodily injury, or conduct a mass shooting or an act of terrorism. Now, that's pretty heavy duty. Uh, I think that you will find out that that uh, uh, that is uh, uh, something that uh, you really don't want in your resume, right? I mean, uh, that's not the thing that... uh, uh, you would uh, uh, find uh, something you want your mother to know about, right? So I think I finally found my little, maybe, I don't know here. Nope, got the wrong one. Anyway, he um, wrote in an email, and it's quoted here in the article, and there's several places that wrote about this, Lotro Chronicle, Main Street, and then the Gainesville Sun. So he made the news. He quote, is his quote, I'm about to lose control of my PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress syndrome. And that's a real thing, by the way. He wrote this with the city of Gainesville elected commissioners. Now, Terry's got quite a a, a, a resume. He was on the code uh, board. He knows government. Uh, He's been frustrated, I know, with government for quite some time. And this kind of was the one that uh, kind of affected him the most, that these commissioners would not listen, would not listen to reason about inclusionary zoning and what it would do to single-family neighborhoods. And and Terry, among other things, is a property manager. So he, he wrote, I'm about to lose control of my PTSD, And then he wrote, when I see them in public, I don't think I will be able to control my actions. You have a choice, stop me or join in. Well, that created some commentary, of course, from the public, some of which was positive and favorable. Because he was really not expressing any frustration that was just his. He was expressing a lot of frustration that was a lot of people's. But he'd done it in a threatening way on a government email. And on that's the biggie, more than the Facebook. So he also indicated in his comments that he had sent elected leaders a follow-up email saying that he may pull them out of an establishment and beat their ass if they vote for inclusionary zoning. Now, that, that you know, that made him pucker, you can imagine. And that is really getting getting over the top. And so uh, we have to figure out, um, you know, where we go from here. And it wasn't uphill for Terry here. It was downhill. So he also wrote, I hope I'm first in line and my combat emotional stress kicks in. I can take it all out on your face, the email said. And that was after, the, in August, the commission had voted four to three to remove single-family zoning citywide. Uh, the exclusionary zoning vote uh, uh, was different from the inclusionary vote that Martin Back referenced, so writes this article. But um, uh, the mayor at that time was, how low can you go, Bowtie Poe, 
had signaled he intended to move forward with zoning plans. And uh, this was all about economic opportunity and this and that one thing and other. So uh, the uh, messages were sent to law enforcement and by a city commissioner. Um, and that, of course, triggered all of that type of response from law enforcement. So the cops uh, made contact with Terry Martin back and um, went to his home. And um, he, he didn't pull any punches. He told the officers he would be personally affected by the zoning change <clears throat> due to his job. <clears throat> and when the police asked about his email, Martin back doubled down on his message, saying he didn't plan to harm anyone while they're in office, only after their terms were over. Well, you know how that goes. <clears throat> so he said to the cops, according to the article here, I said as soon as the election is over, I hope that someone in this community comes out afterward because I know if I go after someone right now, it's a felony. He said, according to the reports, but once they're a public citizen, I can get in their face. So he was asked again if he intended to harm any of the commissioners. And Martin Beck said, not tonight, I'm not. Well, who were these commissioners? Adrian is a Santosa. Was up, <clears throat> took the position that Martin Back's messaging was a, quote, threat to democracy, end quote, and that it fed into, quote, an incredible amount of disinformation, end quote. And then, of course, by the way, Terry Martin Back is a Democrat. Adrian Hayes Santos never missed an opportunity. He said, this is what our politics have come to. This is quoted. MAGA Republicans and the DeSantis administration trying to stop the city from passing laws that allow more people to live in our city and make it more affordable. You know, just on the surface of that, Adrian Hayes Santos had nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with what? Uh, what Terry Martinback had said. And, and, and this is the problem that, uh, that, that comes about when you're dealing with these commissioners. Some people have simply had enough. They can't put up with it anymore. It's, it's, it's too much. And I'm not saying that you don't need a governor on yourself and you don't need to be restrained. But when Adrian Ez Santos comes back with a comment like that, magnify this across the nation, which I'm going to get into in a moment. So now, last week, Harry Martinback finally had his day in court, June 8, 2023. And the circuit court, 8th Judicial Circuit, ordered, issued an order, Judge Philip Pina, and uh, issued an order that the defendant, 
Harry L. Martin back. She'll have no direct or indirect contact with the following persons. And what this basically is, this list of people, is the city commission as it was when he made the threats. The city commission now still has some of these same people on it. But these were the people at the time Terry Martin Beck made the threats. And these are the people that it's ordered and adjudged by the judge that Terry Martin Beck shall have no direct or indirect contact with. The first one on the list is Adrian Hayes Santos. Don't believe he's any longer a commissioner, but nevertheless. Harvey Ward, mayor now. Cynthia Chestnut, eternal political employee. The communist commissioner, Rina Isseko, who gives the international fighter pilot salute, the finger, the middle finger to her constituents. Lauren, how go, low can you go? Bowtie Poe, no longer the mayor. Desmond Duncan Walker, still on there. And David the Poodle Areola, no longer on there. Now, furthermore, the judge said, not only may Martin Beck not have direct or indirect contact with these characters, he is to issue a letter of apology to Adrian Hayes Santos no later than June 20th, 2023 to Adrian Hayes Santos. Adrian Hayes Santos gets away with what? With saying what I just read to you the following. This is what our politics have come to. MAGA Republicans and the DeSantis administration trying to stop the city from passing laws that allow more people to live in our city and make it more affordable, he said. Golly, I wish we could issue an order for Adrian Hayes Santos to apologize to all the Republicans. Wouldn't that be something? That ain't going to happen, of course. No way. So, um, still looking to see if I can possibly find a chat line. And I can't do that. Doesn't seem I can. So, if you're out there chatting, um, you really want to message me, you might message me on my phone number. Um, This was done in order Thursday, June 8, 2023. Okay. There you are. I don't know if that will appear in the Gainesville Sunset or anywhere, you know, that um, else other than Ward Scott Files right now. But the uh, city is now reversed. It's a inclusion, Mary, all that business, and has changed uh, barely, though, barely by close vote. 
The title of today's show is Black Swan. I want to spend some time talking about why. A black swan is uh, an event. It references an event. I may say this. From which no one knows the consequences. It is so exceptionary, exceptional, like a black swan is so exceptional. The story goes, no one ever believed one existed. So a black swan is a term that is used for an event that no one ever thought would happen. It's just unimaginary. And here's a couple of examples of a black swan event. 9 11. 9 11 was a black swan event. I can remember the moment that I heard about it. The moment that uh, I saw on the TV what was going on. Couldn't believe it. Didn't have any precedent for it. Didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. Nobody else did. Another black swan moment is in Tiananmen Square. You may recall this. When a single Chinese man stood in front of a Chinese tank confronting communism. No one's ever done that. It's unheard of. We've got a black swan moment with the indictment of Trump. Don't think for a moment that anyone knows what's going to happen afterwards. I'm going to go into this more as we have more time this week. But don't think for a moment that you pretend to know how this will Proceed from here. There's no precedent. There's no real finality to this. It's been going on since for years. The pursuit of Trump. 
criminalization, apparently, of all the institutions of trust to do it. So don't think that this is going to be another ho-hum event. Think about it. We'll cover it more as it proceeds. I want to share with you now, you remember last week we had a conversation with a Florida National Guard major who was about to become a lieutenant colonel who was at the border along the river in Texas. He's a member of the Army Florida National Guard. Well, I got a communication from them yesterday that there was a presentation that was now released on their role, which up until now had been classified in Ukraine. It's about five or six minutes long. We'll show it to you. Come back at the end of it and I'll say, see you tomorrow. But this is first evidence of the role of the Florida Army National Guard in Ukraine that has been officially released through the chain of command and shared with us. Production, can you roll that? forces training Ukrainians following Russia's brutal invasion. U.S. forces have trained more than 10,000 Ukrainian troops since April 2022. And these are three of the task force Gator soldiers who made that training happen. It came very overwhelming for me because I'm just like, okay, we have a mission, but I'm just not sure how we're going to get this done. We literally had a soldier waiting at the border as they came across the Ukrainian border. We had a task force Gator soldier there to receive them, fly with them all the way to Germany, ate and slept with them, went out to the training area with them, came back, brought them all the way back to the border, waved goodbye to them, told them to give them hell. You guys ready to go? The training in Germany got its start at a remote base in Western Ukraine, where National Guard forces from across the United States had been training Ukrainian soldiers since 2015. Six. About 160 Task Force Gator soldiers from the Florida National Guard arrived at the Combat Training Center near the city of Yavriv in November 2021. We were doing that kind of high-level echelon training, and then when the uh, geopolitical situation changed, relief and aid started rolling into uh, Ukraine, it became back to the user level. Like, hey, 
You have specific weapons that are provided to you uh, by the national community and, and by the United States of America. And we're going to teach you how to use those. But on February 12th of last year, as Russian forces built up on the border, the U.S. troops received a dreaded order, evacuate from Ukraine. We didn't uh, want to leave them, quite frankly. It was tough. We just, um, you know, we, we'd been preaching that our whole mission revolved around uh, supporting them. And honestly, I, I've had two soldiers killed in combat. Um, and second to that, it was one of the most difficult days. It was, it was sad and disappointing. In less than 40 hours, Task Force Gator was gone. Russia invaded Ukraine 10 days later. We knew these people, and we knew people now that are out there fighting for their lives. It didn't feel great. We're not doing anything, but we could be helping. Rather than fold, Ukraine's military fought back. The javelins, bunker busters, and stinger missiles that Task Force Gator had trained Ukrainians on proved essential. But on March 13th of last year, missiles rained down on Yavriv training base. I woke up to text messages going off on my phone. As I'm looking through the pictures, I can tell that it's parts of Central City there in Yavriv burning. This building did not get hit. This building did over here. But it wasn't just seeing the buildings that you lived in attack. There were people that we know that died that, that morning. It, it was hard to be on the sidelines and watch it all. But less than two months later, as the U.S. sent more lethal weapons to Ukraine, Glass and his team received a new order. We need to figure out how to train Ukrainians on them, and it needs to happen this week. And we need Ukrainians shooting triple sevens in the next 10 days. M777 howitzers, like the ones in this video obtained by VOA of training in Germany last spring. coming across, you know, war-weary and uh, familiar faces, and they were coming across with, uh, well, shopping bags with everything they owned, maybe a spare uniform, maybe some toiletries. Um, but to be able to give those guys hugs, it was an emotional moment. And for a few Ukrainian soldiers whose families had fled the country at the start of the war, training wasn't all the American soldiers gave them. We would get a hold of their families, they would find a way to get down to us in Grafenvir. Yeah, you want to see waterworks? Like everybody, not just a family, uh, but all the soldiers that are standing there. Awesome. Ukrainian soldier Eugene snapped this photo the night he reunited with his wife Nina and their young son. We've blurred Eugene's face for his safety. I just remember, um, just, I love you. <laughs> I'm happy to help what we have at the moment. To be able to touch my wife and kid, and at this moment you feel like that's the most important thing in your in life. And it gave um, me and other soldiers who were lucky to see their families uh, psychological strength. The training in Germany expanded to include mobile rocket launchers known as HIMARS and about a dozen other weapons. Maintenance classes started too, so Ukrainians could keep the weapons working. 
for us, it didn't stop from April on through the rest of that summer. We had multiple classes stacked on top of each other. We were really making making it up as, as we went along. We weren't just like giving them a javelin and saying, all right, here's how you fire it. Hey, here's the best way to use the system. You know, you want to find an area, you're, you know, hide, you know, let them come close. We're the one putting it all together, coordinating flights, um, multiple lifts, multiple days, um, multiple lifts a day. And the deployment that just weeks earlier had been one of the lowest points of these soldiers' careers. Now was one of the highlights. What I do today, I see the changes on the battlefield tomorrow. And, um, and in recognizing that the implications of this for Europe and maybe the rest of the world, you know, could last, you know, 5, 10, 20, 40 years from now. You know, I think everybody was kind of surprised that the Ukrainians here today are still fighting. Um, everybody said for us, like, we, we really weren't. We had worked hand in hand with these guys. They're well prepared. Your heart gets pretty big, you know, because you know that you're, you're giving them exactly what they need. Um, I'm very fortunate to be a part of history, in my opinion. We made a difference. One that has remained long after their deployment ended. And the next group of American soldiers took up the training mission. Florida. All right. We uh, hope you enjoyed that. We shared that with you. We just got that yesterday. Uh, over a secure network, by the way. And uh, we, uh, it tells a sad, sad story. But be proud. See that gator symbol there of your Florida Army National Guard. A lot of those guys from right around here. Secret mission for a long time. That was just released. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.